This podcast is presented by Tom and Suzanne Crimmins, the owners of Tom Crimmins Realty. Along with Tom and Suzanne, it's our hope that this show helps shine a bright spotlight on our area and celebrates what makes it an extraordinary place to call home. To learn more about our community, sign up for our newsletter, or to simply find your dream home on Staten Island, go to TomCrimmonsRealty.com. The Honest Eye Podcast is part of the Our Community Plus Lifestyle Network and a member of the local independent online news or Lions Publishers Initiative. We're proud to be one of the hundreds of organizations across the United States and Canada supported by the Democracy Fund, Facebook Journalism Project, Google News Initiative, and the Knight Foundation, and we love doing our part to elevate influential voices from our hometowns. Now, on with this month's show. On this episode of the Honest Eye Podcast, Staten Island's newest ferry boat is named in recognition of one of the nation's first free black settlements, the long-standing Sandy Ground community on the South Shore. Also this month, we're proud to bring you our first extended interview with our local Hero of the Month. In this installment, we introduce you to an officer who has followed his dreams to become an American citizen and part of the NYPD's ongoing mission to build bridges to the communities it serves. Plus, how a Charleston restaurant owner who stood by his employees from the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic has persevered by making empathy an important ingredient to his business operations. Hello, I'm your host, Patty Murphy. Celebrating Black History Month, Mayor Eric Adams commissioned a new Staten Island ferry boat named in honor of Sandy Ground. That tops our island hopping segment, our take on noteworthy, local, and positive things you need to know this month. New York City Mayor Eric Adams commissioned the Sandy Ground, a new Staten Island ferry vessel named for New York's first free black community, which was settled in 1828 and served as a stop on the historic Underground Railroad. The Sandy Ground is the first Staten Island ferry boat named to honor the rich history of black New Yorkers living on Staten Island. According to Mayor Adams, the settlers of Sandy Ground were our ancestors and they worked hard to build a vibrant community that became a safe haven for so many seeking freedom. This boat will forever be a testament to them, their legacy, and their contributions to the New York City we live in today. The Sandy Ground is expected to be in service by this spring. The island's longest serving Democrat Assemblyman Michael Cusick announced he won't seek re-election for the seat he's held since 2003. Cusick represents the 63rd Assembly District, which includes the North Shore and Mid-Island. He released a statement explaining that he looks forward to spending more time with his family while listing his accomplishments after 20 years in office, including the preservation of the Staten Island resident Verrazano Narrows Bridge toll discount, work to prohibit protests at military funerals, and legislation aimed at combating the opioid epidemic. New York City's official groundhog, Staten Island Chuck, 
did not see his shadow for the seventh year in a row on the morning of February 2nd during the Groundhog Day ceremony at the Staten Island Zoo in West Brighton. No shadow is a good sign for anyone who is ready for spring to begin. Now, we are proud to bring you our local Hero of the Month, a segment made possible with support from Tom and Suzanne Crimmins of Tom Crimmins Realty. In this installment, we introduce you to the commanding officer of the 123rd Precinct, Deputy Inspector Andre Smirnov. Smirnov is no stranger to Staten Island, calling the borough home and having previously worked with the narcotics unit in the 120th Precinct. In this extended interview, we discussed his philosophy on community policing and what makes Staten Island a great place to live. So did you always know that you wanted to go into law enforcement? And I'm wondering, did anybody else in your family have that in their background? Uh, No, I'm the first generation. So I am an immigrant. I came to this country in 1995. I was uh, born and raised in Russia for the first 15 years of my life. And in uh, 1995, I'll never forget the day. It was a brutal winter here, you guys said. It was snow everywhere. All, all the vehicles were covered in snow. And that's the day that we landed. It was right Christmas time in December. Um, and I uh, came here on a student visa just to school and a little bit of vacation, I guess, if you will. And um, shortly after that, back then, and I'm not sure if they still do that, uh, it was a, like a lottery that you apply for a green card, a uh, permanent residency. And we applied for it just to see if, if uh, by any chance we might get, uh, you know, hit the lottery and win. And believe it or not, we, we struck gold and we got picked for it. So uh, once we had the green card, we knew that we we're going to settle down here and leave my uh, native land behind and, and move on for, you know, further and have the, the ultimate, the American dream. So um, I was here. I went to school, FDR High School in Brooklyn uh, over on uh, 20th Avenue and 59th Street. Went there for a few years and ultimately ended up in a John Jay College. Something, you know, the criminal justice, it kind of, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life yet at that point, but uh, it, it sounded very good. The criminal justice atmosphere, this whole law and order, and I kind of wanted to uh, give it a shot and see if it's something that I would like to do. And uh, I ended up going to that school. Um, while I was in school, right down the block from John Jay College, there was um, the, the Parks and Recreations, they, they went, they ran a lifeguarding school. So while I was in college, I says, you know what, I'm going to become a lifeguard and, and do a part-time while I'm still going to school. And uh, I ended up working after going to school of a lifeguard. I was assigned to uh, East New York and Howard Houses and a confines at a 7-3 precinct in Brooklyn. I was assigned to an outdoor pool. And uh, when I was there every, every day, like all pools throughout the city, the police sent uh, police officers to the post as a security measure. And I just got friendly with the cops. You know, every time you see a different face and, and, and every time I was there doing my lifeguard things, uh, the cops were always sharing war stories, how this job is great and how they running in, you know, chasing bad guys. And it's something that I, I says, you know what, I, I wonder if it would be for me. And because John Jay College offered the police cadet program, I uh, decided to join in as a civilian still going to school and, and look for myself because I didn't want to just join the police academy without knowing what it's, what it's about. I kind of wanted to see for myself as a civilian first, is it something that I would like to do and would be interested in. And uh, very quickly, I, once I started working in the precinct, I was assigned to the 6th Precinct in Borough Park. Um, I made the decision that majority of the police officers liked what they did and uh, it really a noble profession. 
And they clicked right then and there. I never looked back since then. Um, I wanted to become a cop within basically a few months of working as a police cadet in, in, in the precinct. I loved it. And uh, ultimately, uh, just everything pointed the right direction. I became a cop just about 20 years ago. And I was actually fortunate to graduate the police academy and come back to the 6-6 precinct where I was a cadet. And which made that transition very easy for me since I've known most of the people there, most of the police officers, and I got along with everybody, and uh, including the community. I, you know, sitting on the TS, being a TS operator, I interact with a lot of people coming in, filling out reports, and, and, and it felt right. It felt like home the first day out of the academy, and, uh, and the rest is history. <laughs> I'm so happy we just unpacked that because I feel like it's a nice perspective to have, and it seems like it all happened organically. So that's nice. When I was talking to Tom about you, he described you to me as a quiet professional. So I had to ask, what are some of the leadership principles that you follow? Uh, leadership principles. You know, when you talk about leadership, a lot of people talk about leading from the front, which is, I think, is important. Leading from the front, you know, you have to be in uh, lead the troops and, and, and basically do as I do and not do as I say. But what I also realize is that leading from the back is a very important concept. And a lot of people don't talk about leading from the back. And what does that mean? If you're constantly leading from the front and you never take a look behind, not everybody's going to follow you. And there will be some stragglers behind. And you need to stay back. And you need to get back to that back of the line every once in a while to make sure that you pick up those that are slightly falling behind and bring them aboard with you. Because if I'm constantly looking ahead and I'm spearheading the mission, by the time I cross that finish line and I turn around, I might only have five, 10 people left while I started with 100, you know? So I really a true believer on leading from the back. It's just as important that every once in a while we must turn around, we must take a look back and we see who's lagging, who's falling behind and, and, and lift them up and, and show them what the mission is. What is it about? So when we cross that finish line, we're going to have 100% participation and every single person that started with us at point A, Cross that finish line at point B. And that's an important concept in my eyes. And that's how I've been doing it for, for years. And I think overall it's been working. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have to ask, you know, did any other leaders influence your development or share that sort of mindset uh, and thinking? Yeah. So a few people come, come to my mind and uh, they're, they're actually both retired now. Uh, one of them, I'm not sure if you're familiar with retired chief of transit, uh, Joe Fox. So Joe Fox, when I was first became a police officer, he was a two-star chief. He was the borough commander of Brooklyn South. He was a true cop. You know, he never forgot where he came from. And my very first interaction was with him is that I, I'll never forget that day. One of the local rabbis was not doing very well and he was hospitalized. And he was hospitalized to my mommy's hospital, which is a local hospital in a confine to the 6-6 precinct. And uh, we were assigned to, uh, to block the traffic because it was a, you know, he was a very important man to the community. And there's a lot of people who were coming into the hospital to pay his respects, to visit him. Uh, Chief Fox, being that he was very community-oriented, very plugged in into the community, he came to visit the hospital. And I'll never forget that I was, just, I was told by my sergeant, you, you put a car here, you stand there, and you don't let anybody in until the Chief Fox shows up. So I'm there the entire night with my head on, and I'm standing there, I'm standing there, and nobody's coming, and now I'm, it's getting a little chilly. And of course, what do you do the very first time? Like, you know what? I'm taking a break. So I took my hat off. I sat in my car and right then and there when I did it, who shows up? It's the chief's car, pulls in into the lot. I'm like, I can't believe this. I stood here, stood here all day. And the very minute I decided to take a load off because it didn't seem like it was happening, here he comes. So I get back out of the car. I put my hat on. And the chief makes his way and he drives by me and he goes all the way further down 10th Avenue. 
by the main entrance of the hospital. Uh, and I'm kind of peeking to see what he's doing. And uh, he gets out of the car. And next thing you know, he's coming right towards me. And nobody's surrounding him. He's by himself. And I'm thinking to myself, here I am with a barely year on. I'm dead. I'm dead. He's going to scream at me. I'm off post. I wasn't ready. And, uh, and, and all he wanted to do is he came up and he just shook my hand and he, he thanked me for being there. He thanked me for blocking the street. He thanked me for my service. And uh, we just had a pleasant conversation. And I realized that this individual is, is, is uh, he never forgot where he came from. And, and that's really an important part of leadership is that, and that goes to all, any, any organization, whether it's private, whether it's you know, corporate or politics, it doesn't matter. That, that applies that everybody started somewhere. And we all start from the bottom and, and, and most of us, or some of us are fortunate enough to move up and end up on top. But it's important not to forget where you came from. And you still have that relationship with, with your soldiers, if you will, because if you detach yourself from that world, you, they, you no longer understand the world you know, that they live in. You no longer relate to that. And this is where you lose a lot of respect, where people don't follow you anymore because they think you detached from the reality and you no longer care for the mission and you no longer care for the actual people that are doing the work. So, in, and, and to this day, we keep in touch with Joe Fox. He's retired now. He does a lot of leadership courses. Uh, he was actually recently at my precinct. He stopped by to say hello, and we had a pleasant chat, as we always do. Lately, I've been bumping into Joe Fox a lot more, and unfortunately, due to a lot of these uh, line of duty funerals that we've had, it's been a rough patch for the NYPD, for the entire city, I should say, not just the NYPD. And Joe Fox is always supportive to this day, even though he's been separated from the department for many, many years. He always shows up at, at funerals. He always shows up at masses. And he shows up to the, unannounced to the precincts, just stops by to say hello. And he talks to the cops and he preaches the, the leadership and he preaches on, on morale. And he, I never forget that. And I think he was one of the influences on, on, on his job that kind of got me going. And I saw the executive on this job that was a true cop who kept getting, getting promoted, moving on, but always not forgetting where I come from. And I think that's very, very important. Something else that was shared with me about you, and I can see it now, is the fact that you prioritize having authentic relationships with people. So why is that so important to you? It is, it is very important. You know, I mean, when you're talking people, people, we're all people, whether police officers, car mechanics, sanitation workers, fire department, uh, you know, the, the news reporters. It doesn't matter what you do. We're, we're all people. We're all come from different backgrounds. You have to establish those relationships, you know, just, just the community with police. This is just as much as my neighborhood. This is just as much as my police officer's neighborhood as the people that have been living here for the last 130, 40 or whatever, how many years? Because at the end of the day, you know, when we police, we're out there numerous hours during the day. Most of the police officers spend probably more time in the neighborhoods at work than they are in their own homes. And, and, uh, and having that relationship with the people is having the same relationship with police officers. Make sure we're on the same page because if, if, I live, if I work in a safe neighborhood, that is also the safe neighborhood for my cops, not only for the people that we protect. And it goes, like I always said that, you, you know, a bullet has no name on it. And it doesn't matter if you're a cop, if you're a regular civilian that lives on the corner, we, we're in this together because this is just as much of our neighborhood, even though we just work here, as for the people that grew up here their entire life. So that, that, that relationship is key to understand each other and to let people know that we're not just here because we have a job. We also live amongst you guys for the majority of our day as we go through the work. So one of the things I say on this uh, show pretty often is that Staten Island's like a small town in a big city. So 
how would you describe the Staten Island community to others who maybe aren't so familiar with it? Staten Island. Staten Island is, is, is a definitely a very interesting place to live on. Uh, and it is a small, small town. You know, it's, uh, it seems like everybody knows each other here. You bump into people here that you haven't seen in years. And uh, my first, so I started working in Brooklyn South. That's where I spend most of my time. Eventually, I made my way to Staten Island. My first stop was here as a sergeant. I got promoted sergeant, and I came back here many years ago, probably 15, 12, 15 years ago. I came back here as a sergeant, and I started working narcotics. And it felt, it felt right because, you know, we always talk about, you know, why did you become a police officer? I wanted to protect. I wanted to uh, serve. And, and again, in that same conversation I just had that we, we always we live in the same neighborhood that we protect because we're here most of the time. But on Staten Island, what's very special about it is because that you, you couldn't feel more true to that statement because you actually live here, that you are protecting your neighborhood. Even though you might be, I live in a confines that are one, two, two, Staten Island is such a small island. It doesn't matter what precinct you're working. You still live here and you bump into people off duty and on duty. You know, we all go to the same mall. It couldn't feel more right to be here because you truly believe that statement that you are making a difference here because you know what? I'm protecting the same schools that my kids go to. I'm protecting the same businesses that my kids go for a bagel in the morning and you get their breakfast, you know, or a car mechanic down the block that's doing my tune-up or changing my oil. Or if I just go shopping with my wife on a, on a weekend or go watch a movie. And again, and when you're saying that Staten Island is it's, it's a small little town, you, you really truly believe that. You believe that you're almost like a local sheriff, that you know everybody on that island. It just makes that connection, bridging that gap with the community just makes it so much easier. And it feels, it feels right. It feels right. Is there anything else you want to add or you think is important to your story and the message that you want to send? Just uh, you, you got to keep, uh, you know, the, Amer- the ultimate American dream. I, I'm living it. And that's what it is. You know, a lot of people um, are saying that, you know, what it's all about. And sometimes it gets uh, missed in translation. Sometimes people are not sure what that even mean. And again, coming here at the age of 15, not speaking a word of English, going to school, you know, working my butt off. Uh, going to college, then, then getting this great job that I've been very proud to wear the shield and this uniform each and every day, you know, and, and again, giving me the opportunity because this is really the greatest show on earth is I got the front row seat to it. You meet a lot of people on this job, what this job. And, and, and again, the, the American dream truly does exist. And, and I'm the first one to tell you that I'm living it each and every day and I couldn't be more thankful and I thank you very much for this opportunity to come speak with you because it's, it's again, not, you know, you don't get a lot of phone calls that some people are interested in the, in the local hero story. So it's, it's, it's truly an honor and a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you. And finally, in case you missed it, in our last edition of On SI, we heard from Paul Montella, the owner of Nucci South, about the passion, perseverance, and teamwork needed to overcome the challenges of owning a restaurant during the pandemic. Staten Island's a great place. I know a lot of places, you know, they make fun of us, but we, when things happen, we we group together well, mm-hmm. and we stand strong together. I, I saw everybody doing it. Everybody was helping the community. And we ourselves, as restaurant owners, we didn't know what the heck was happening with our future. But at that exact moment, everybody had to step up, and we did. It was pretty cool. That'll do it for this edition of the Honest Eye Podcast. On behalf of Tom and Suzanne Crimmins, the owners of Tom Crimmins Realty, thank you for listening. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at tomcrimmonsrealty.com. 
we feature stories that matter to locals. If you have one you'd like to share, email it to us at stories at Until next time, be well.